All right, welcome everybody to the Better Modesto Show. I'm your host, Chris Rickey, here on Power Talk 1360 AM KFIV and on your iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate. Jim's on sabbatical right now. Man, I've been saying that so much. We need to get that guy back here. Uh, but today, I'm super excited to have our state senator uh, joining us on the show, Heath Flora. Welcome, Heath. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Chris. It's great to be with you. And uh, maybe just real quick, um, I work in the state assembly. Oh, you work in the assembly. I'm sorry. I thought you were senator. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can cut that part out. We can redo I think, that, right? I think we'll start over. Let's start over. All right, good. I mean, Caviero or Eggman get really angry at me. Oh my God! Why did I think you were a senator? Well, I mean that's because I, I haven't aged well. You should take that as like a, as a compliment. Like I thought you were like the senator. Like, no, no, I'm in the House of Commons. The assembly man. member behind you on a little plaque. You read the plaque. I even tried to set it up for you. Yeah! Wow! Ouch! All right. Well, we're starting over. You make me laugh. Oh man. We love it. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Better Modesto Show. I'm your host, Chris Rickey, here on Power Talk 1360 AM KFIV. Also on your iHeartRadio app right there in your pocket. My co-host is Jim Applegate. Jim's on sabbatical, though, right now. So but we're going to get that guy back here soon. We're going to get him back here soon. But I'm really excited. I got my guest here today. I've got Heath Flora. He's an assemblyman in this in representing our God damn it. Take three. Welcome everybody to the Better Modesto Show. I'm your host, Chris Rickey, here on Power Talk 1360 AM KFIV, and also on your iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate. Jim's on sabbatical right now, but my guest today, let's give a big, better Modesto welcome to Heath Flora, our assemblyman. How you doing, Heath? I'm doing well, Chris. It's great to be with you. Looking yeah, forward to it. So it's, it's a great day to do a radio show on a Saturday morning, right? I can't, nothing else I'd rather do. Man, so much going on in our area. You know, we've been, I don't know about you, but I'm getting hammered on a daily basis with calls just trying to deal with our homeless crisis and stuff going on in our parks and all that stuff. Um, what do you think some of the things we should be doing to improve, you know, the homeless crisis in our neighborhood? I mean, it's like the million dollar question, you know, and, and it's so broad because I, I do believe like every area is different, you know, how local governments deal with their issues. I think one of the biggest things that we could do, you know, from a state perspective, is really focus like as a state elected on the regional issues, regional approaches. One of the things that I've been incredibly frustrated with um, since being elected is we tend to paint the state in very broad brushes, very broad strokes. But our, our issues are regional, like our homeless population, our law enforcement, our firefighters, they know these individuals by name. They know their medical needs. They see them multiple times a week. Yeah, same and, over and over again. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And so I think, you know, one of the biggest things we could do is if there was a, a community paramedicine program 
that we could get these folks the medications that they need. We could put a paramedic and a social worker in an SUV together and travel around and work within the, that community. Um, it would save us a lot of time and energy and a lot of resources for that matter, not to mention the wear and tear on public safety. But I, I, I also get frustrated. Well, I want to stop you there because yeah. Modesto's already kind of working on that approach. Right. Um, I know that our new chief, we got a new chief last night. I don't know if you heard about that. So I did. Chief Gillespie, welcome to the welcome to the big time, man. You're like, you got the job. Yeah. Really have all the targets now. Yeah. <laughs> but but one of the things that we've all been working on, the count when I say we, I mean the council and, and the police have been putting a program just exactly like what you described together. They've got kind of a pilot going on right now. I think we have like six six people working on it but i mean the problem as always you know um heath is the funding part you right. know right and chris i think that's where like relationships that that you and i have uh, that i have with the board of supervisors the fire chiefs the chief of police as well like those budget requests i mean every year like we can go to the state and fight for budget items you know, um, Adam Gray and I, we work together constantly on trying to bring resources to help offset some of these, because you're absolutely right. It's expensive to do what we're trying to do here. And I think that's part of the state's responsibility is allow and to identify programs that are working locally and then do what we can as a state to help fund those, to help offset the cost of that. Like, I think that is a huge, huge um, problem that the state has been really struggling to do is they tend to want to fix it statewide in one big shiny object right. that's unrealistic and yeah. we need to bring it back down to a micro level and start being very localized yeah and i think that when you look at what we're trying to do with with these you know targeted programs like our cahoots style program is what where the way we're describing it cahoots if you don't know, I mean, you know, I'm sure, but mm -hmm. for, the, for the listeners, you know, it's a, it's a program that does exactly what you're describing with an EMT and a social worker that helps with not just homeless, but also mental illness, stuff like that. But the challenge that I see with our new Kahoot style program, which um, we might be calling chat, hopefully, which I think is a really cool name for it, but something that the chief came up with Um is we don't, I don't personally don't want to take money from police, the police department and shift from officers to this program, right? I want to fund on top of it because we don't have enough officers already, right? If you compare Modesto's police ratio to other cities of our size, we're like two thirds of what everybody else can afford because of our budget, right? So like, we can't really take money from them to do this, right? So we need to find other funding. And that's, that's the struggle, man. No, it is. It's a huge struggle that we have. And, and public safety funding is an incredibly hard thing, you know, um, to get a public safety tax, the threshold is pretty high, you know? So, I mean, obviously whenever we talk funding for a lot of folks probably listening, like they can translate that into a fee or a tax or something, right? It's because we don't just make new money out of thin air. It has to come from somewhere or someone. So but I, I think the interesting part to your point, we're operating at, at the police level with numbers that we had two decades ago, three decades ago. I think, I mean, we're after the same, like... Well, we had more officers two decades ago than we have now. Yeah, exactly. That's my, yeah, exactly. And I wish I knew the exact year off the top of my head, but, and the same with the fire service. 
right the fire service um and these men and women that are running these calls i mean they're they're absolutely getting spun out their mental health is deteriorating um because when you run 22 calls a day um and you're there for 48 hours like it it takes a toll on you um so our, I'm worried about our public safety. And I, and I do think that there needs to be a creative funding source. And with a state that is, is flush with cash as it is right now, how this is not a priority. And we spent, the governor spent $12 billion on homelessness last year. I can't tell you what it's done. I, I don't see any improvements anywhere, yeah. anywhere. So, and quite frankly, he's now asking for federal help. So after you spend $12 billion, now we're asking for help from the feds to do what? More of the same? And this is the frustration that a lot of us have. It's a bipartisan frustration, which is very interesting in Sacramento right now. Um, there's a lot of bipartisan frustrations with what's going on because of the lack of communication, especially on this particular issue. Because everybody's like realizing like one size does not fit all. Yeah, and I think that you know, going a little deeper into it, if you look at the money we got from the state, when I say we, I'm talking about the county, right? Because that the funding goes generally from the state to the county, and then the county has to dole it out to all the cities based on projects, right? right. The challenge that I've had, and my, and I shouldn't say my staff, but our staff, the city of Modesto, all of our staff has, is that there's a lot of strings attached in terms of what you can do. So like, even if you have a great idea, you can't necessarily use the money for it because there's, oh no, that's not temporary enough. Like housing, like they're, they're, a bunch of money was for temporary housing. And if you if you didn't fit their rubric of what temporary housing was, you couldn't spend the money. Right. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's, it's one of the dirty little secrets. Like people get really excited about getting funding and getting monies um, for projects. But then when you look at the strings that are attached, uh, it gets really, really daunting to actually make it work for you. Um, it's usually tied into some special interest somewhere along the way. That's usually got their fingers in the pot. But when it gets like dollars onto the street, building something, it's really, really challenging to have any control over that as a local government. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the county, and I don't, I don't know what the number is, but there's, you know, multiple millions of dollars in homeless funding that we haven't spent yet that we, that have been allocated to us as we can't fulfill the rubric the like labyrinth of requirements that the state has for us to spend the money and that is like I, what do we do man tell me what to do how do we solve this i mean there is no easy um solution to be honest with you chris and I, I mean the the best thing that we can do is work together and try to educate Sacramento on why um, their policies, why their procedures are not working. I mean, let's face it. A lot of these men and women that I work with on a daily basis up there are, are, are good people. Um, they're not actively out there trying to hose us in the Central Valley or they don't have something nefarious against us. Okay. They simply do not understand our way of life and who we are as a Central Valley. So a really great idea that works in the tenderloin of San Francisco, that might be a great plan for you. But 90 miles west of you, I'm sorry, east of you is us, okay? That's a very different dynamic out here and it doesn't work. And so there's this massive lack of education and quite frankly, willingness on their part to engage with us. I mean, we've had elected official after elected official go to Sacramento and try 
to bust open that glass house and get resources into the Central Valley. And we simply can't. It's just really, really hard. Now, I was actually cautiously optimistic when Gavin came in 2019. He was uh, needing some things, needed help, bipartisan support on some stuff. And after we helped him out, went into his office and he was like, is there anything your district needed? And we got $12 million for Stanislaus County for the radio infrastructure. We got a million dollars for a boys and girls club. And the governor absolutely, I mean, our speaker of our house was getting ready to strip that money out of the budget. Our governor, he actually kept it in there himself because he made that commitment. And I was like, man, this guy, this, this, this could work. Like he's, he's actually like cares about us now. Sadly, since then COVID has happened and we have a very different governor now. And I wish we could have that previous governor back. We'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure, as we go on here on the Better Modesto Show. Um, I'm your host, Chris Rickey, here on Power Talk 1360 AM, KFIV, also on your iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate. My guest today is Heath Flora, our assemblyman. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about um, a really good idea that our sheriff has um, about creating camping areas for the homeless here on Better Modesto. Welcome back to the Better Modesto Show. I'm your host, Chris Rickey. I'm also the council person for the city of Modesto, District 3. I think it's the best district in Modesto, hands down. So if you're, you should, you should definitely move here because it's great. But uh, I'm, I'm here on uh, Power Talk 1360 AM, KFIV. Um, also available in your pocket anytime on the iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate and my guest today. Heath Flora, who is our assemblyman. Welcome back, Heath. Yeah, it's great to be with you again, Chris. Yeah, we're good. We're, it's, a, it's a good day to be talking about uh, our community, man. So we've been talking a little bit about homelessness, things we're doing, um, you know, to try to, to attack this problem. Um, I'm really, I had a good talk with Jeff Dirksy um, a couple of weeks ago on the show like Jeff and I have like a lot of differences, right? But I also really like to celebrate when you have differences with people, like when they have a good idea and like trying to back that up, right? So that we can, mm -hmm. you know, we can come together and solve problems, even though we may disagree about other things, right? Um, right. And one of the ideas he had is like creating these camping areas um, for the homeless in the county, but also that has to include the city too, right? And so I just wanted to see, get like, get your take on that, what you thought of it. And there's a lot of resistance in government about these kind of things and what steps we could take to kind of make it happen. I think I'm very, I don't think I know. I'm generally very supportive of the idea. You know, I think it does present some problems. You know, where do you put them? Um, yeah. who, uh, who has authority over them? you know, whose responsibility it is to maintain them. Um, but I, I just, when you have our constituents, because these homeless folks are our constituents, they are our members of our community, whether we want to view them that way or not, they still are. Um, if we can give them a relatively safe place that they can set up a tent, that we could set up a couple Connex boxes and bring in social services, you know, bring in a practitioner, a nurse practitioner, or a doctor, you know, once a week, or do some of those things, a pharmacist, um, 
you know, once a week, working with the social workers that maybe should be assigned to those particular camps. I think that there is a pathway for success. The, the issue that I think that we're going to have is how do we air fingers, quote, force, encourage our homeless community to move into those areas? Yeah, um, I think it's actually not going to be that hard, though. If you look at Moe's, right, which I celebrate as a huge success, a lot of people that I work with say was a real disaster. I, But I think the answer is it was both, right? We, it started off with 100 people. By the time they closed it, there was 600 people in there. Totally unmanageable, right? <laughs> That's what you're talking about. Um, but I don't think getting people to move there will be difficult because... The, if you live on the streets, the most challenging thing is like, you know, you could be, you could just wake up with a knife at your neck. You just don't know. Yeah. And I think uh, tomorrow the field of dreams are playing that baseball game in Iowa, you know, at the field of dreams stadium and like to still align from the field of dreams. If, if, uh, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a, an aspect to that. If, if we built something that was nice enough, that felt like welcoming enough, um, you know, that allows for pets. Um, I think I know for a fact that was a big deal for a lot of people. Um, Sacramento County or within, with really within the city close to the apartment where I live in Sacramento as well. There's a few of these that they're under um, overpasses. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and it's all chain linked out. Um, and, it, and it's, it's been there for two or three months now. And it's clean. They all have their individual tents. They're all set up. So they're like individualized. There's there's um, porta potties that are in there. There's some conic boxes that has like cleaning supplies and rakes and shovels. And it's hilarious because the homeless people that live in there actually like made like handmade, like no trespassing signs and put them on the, the chain link fence outside. So it, it's like, it was awesome because like they were taking like pride in that area, right? Like they suddenly had something that they took ownership of and they're like, no, we don't want this guy or gal coming in and, and wrecking the good thing that we have going on so they put their no trespassing signs up but i think there is a a method to that if done right um it could be very very successful but i don't think it works if we just push them all out and forget about them um there has to be services where there has to be a reason for those folks to stay there yeah i think that that's the real challenge when you look at I mean, it, it sounds easy when we're sitting here talking about it, but like when you look at what we learned from Moe's, you know, the problem is there are a hundred, if, if homelessness was a pie, there's a hundred different pieces. And if you put like the schizophrenic person next to the person with the um, methamphetamine addiction next to the person who's an alcoholic, that can create some pretty, you know, yeah. solid conflicts um that's when you need a camp boss the regulator right it's just hard to do right and they had a regulator yeah. those but it was one guy trying to regulate 600 people like that was not a realistic yeah. setup so those are not good odds so <laughs> the expectation was a little off there yeah uh, yeah <laughs> but the guy i know the guy and like he worked his butt off and he did you know i mean hats off to the guy like that was quite a he bit off a lot there um, no, it is. And on that note, I mean, we had, I, I know, I briefly mentioned it earlier when, when the governor vetoed it, but, you know, there was this project in Manteca um, that we ran all the way through the legislature where it was a nonprofit that was going to buy a building for a dollar and then 
you know, they had about $800,000 worth of remodeling and getting it. They were turning it into a, a homeless shelter, a homeless resource shelter. All right. And the city was incredibly excited about it, you know, and it was like all the taxing agencies had to come on board and it took a lot of work uh, to get it through both houses, uh, both the Senate and the assembly uh, through multiple committees. Um, you know, the mayor of Manteca came up to Sacramento multiple times with his council and spoke in committees about it. And we got that bill all the way to the governor's desk and he vetoes it. And he wanted a larger holistic approach. He didn't want to do one-offs. And it's that kind of mentality that just breaks your heart where you have locals that are like, this is what we want. We have a nonprofit ready, willing to go. All the taxing agencies are on board. It literally goes through the state government and gets vetoed by the governor. And those are the frustrations that it's hard to, to find solutions to, quite frankly, um, because we can have these great ideas, but they tend to get bogged down or not executed because of bureaucrats and or bureaucracies. And at some How point- innovate when you're not allowed to innovate? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. Because this is the first I heard about this Manteca program, but if it had worked, like you bet I would have been like, hey, I want to know what those guys are doing. Yeah. And you can point out multiple buildings in Modesto that we could set up service centers for the homeless folks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can, yeah, I can tell you five or six right now at the top of my head, right yeah. on 9th Street. Yeah. Um, so it's frustrating. It really is. Um but it, it's just the game that's playing right now. So. so what do we do though? I mean, like we know what the game is like a lot of it, like, you know, you've got things you don't like or whatever, but we've got to work around it. We can't change it. You know? Right. What do we do? I mean, what we try, what do we, do? we try again. I mean, what we've done with that is we've taken the governor's veto message. And um, since it wasn't a, a large scale approach, um, currently trying to identify other buildings across the state to make it a larger, you know, play. So it's not yeah, just nice. localized. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times governor Brown and his veto message, he would almost give you a roadmap of how to fix your bill on why he didn't like it. Um, Gavin's a little bit more um, subtle on why, but it, um, that's, that has been our play currently. That's a good idea. Well, let me know if, we, if you've got a spot in Modesto you want to pick out for this. Um, or, or, or let me know as well. Like, seriously, like yeah. there's some, um, because there is a pathway and we, we, we proved that we can get it through the building. And uh, so, yeah. How big does it need to be? Uh, this one was like 700, it was almost, it was probably 700,000 square feet. It was a big building. It's a pretty good size. It was a big um, ice plant, like warehouse. Um, structure um, close to the freeway over there it had been vacant for 12 years like nothing had been in it how many people do you think they could have they could fit in there like what was the goal do you remember uh their Manteca's entire homeless population wow so i would say i don't want to put a number on it because it fluctuates a little yeah. bit but their homeless population which is probably similar to ours um in Modesto. Be over a thousand people i was gonna say 1100 ish yeah. but yeah um, plus or minus a little bit. Yeah. 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 Not putting it up. I'm not trying to put a number on it necessarily. Just get a ballpark figure anyway. 
but yeah so that's that's something to think about all right we're we're up against another break here on the better monesto show so thanks for tuning in this fine saturday morning here on 1360 a.m power talk kfiv also on your iheart radio app my co-host is Jim Applegate. I, he actually is the co-host. He's not here. He hasn't been here for a couple months, but he actually is the co-host. He's going to be back soon. Can't wait to have him back. But my, uh, my guest today, Heath Flora, our assemblyman, we're talking about our community. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, housing and, and how much uh, just housing supply and how we can try to, you know, improve the housing situation here in Modesto and in uh, his district here on Better Modesto. All right, welcome back to the Better Modesto show here on 1360 AM KFIV. Also on the Radio app, I'm your host, Chris Rickey. My co-host is Jim Applegate. And today we've got our guest, Heath Flora. Welcome back, Heath. It's great to be back with you, Chris. So we're talking a little, we were talking a little about homeless earlier, um, but it kind of dovetails a little bit into our housing crisis. And in my district, I've been like, I did not expect to get this call ever, but I've been consistently like three calls a week getting calls from constituents saying, you know, I can't find a place to live. And these aren't, you know, people that are making $15,000 a year. These are families that are making between 60 and $100,000 a year that can't find a place to rent, you know? And I'm kind of, I mean, I'm a little bit flabbergasted. I just don't, what, like, that is not a question I ever expected to get. And it, it goes to our housing, you know, the overall housing situation in the state. And so, my question for you is like, what is the state doing to help spur housing in Modesto or in your district? Because I know your district isn't just Modesto, but yeah. Oh, I don't, I mean, this is going to be a very blunt answer, but I don't think the state is helping build housing at all in my district. I actually feel like they're doing a lot of things that, that hurt that. Um, I, there's a lot of building, that's a lot of construction that is going on for sure. But when I got elected in 16, uh, we've talked about housing crisis constantly. But what we haven't done is really focused on, on quite frankly, the Bay Area right now. When we have this massive influx of Bay Area folks moving into our community and then buying up properties, increasing, like, I mean, obviously our folks that are in real estate love it. And, and I, I support that as well. But when you're selling a flat over there for one and a half million dollars and you're coming into our area and buying you know three acre ranchette for 900 and then you're pocketing the rest it it drives our people out and then we do not have the ability to backfill that you know and, and i think it comes down to some of what the state has mandated um whether it's rooftop solar or all electric or, or, or gas, I mean, getting rid of gas, like those types of mandates that drive the cost of a house, just the simple fact of building a house through the roof, I think is a huge, huge problem. We can't not, we can't really say that we have affordable housing in California. We can build affordable housing. I think when people say, oh, wait, we need to build more affordable housing. Well, that does not actually exist. 
There's too many laws on the books. There's too many regulatory burdens that are on the books. You know, our environmental friends, if, if you are going to go, City Modesto has a plan to build low-income housing somewhere or middle to low-income housing somewhere, more than likely it's going to get bogged down in a CEQA um, lawsuit for however long. And so a lot of these issues, until, you know, Sacramento is willing to address some of them, we're going to have the same problem. We have to reduce the cost and we have to reduce people's ability to litigate and to stop projects because we see this time and time again. Adam do a lot of working together on this kind of stuff. Like, and I love the vision. You like, you see the field here, which is really helpful to me because, you know, I've only been in office for six months. So I'm still trying to figure this stuff out, you know? Um, So like, how are you taking that on though? Right? Like I got people calling me now, man. It's going to take us three years to even get it something started, right? Like, right. what do we do? Yeah, exactly. No, it's a huge frustration. And um, the way that we, I mean, if we go after CEQA, um, like a full frontal attack on CEQA, none of those bills will ever make it through. You, right. you simply cannot get that done. So we are, we're, we're kind of nibbling around the edges. You know, um, there's... PAGA is actually the same issue. We have the same kind of problems with PAGA on, on, a, on another type of issue. But right, so let, I'm going to stop you there. Can you give just a 30 second definition of CEQA and PAGA? Or it sounds like, I don't know, some sort of like, <laughs> I don't know, tribal maybe thing? It might be tribal. Who knows? Right. So PAGA is the Private Attorney General's Act, which basically allows um, uh, attorneys to go into businesses. Um, and sue if they aren't up to standards so they can go get okay. into the nitty gritty. So that's the um, one that was shutting down a bunch of businesses in Ripon a couple of years ago. Correct. Over And then Adam Gray and Kristen Olson fought it very, very heavily on ADA compliance stuff. They literally would have people come in and take pictures with tape measures. And then yeah. ultimately it's these, it's these private attorneys just looking for a settlement. That's right. um, what that group has rolled into is now pay stub violations. Um, there's like 13 things that are required on a, on a pay stub by law. Um, if any one of those things aren't on there, it's a it's a findable, suable offense, and you, they can go back for five years. Um, which some of our local businesses, um, unknowing to them, they hired their payroll out to an outside vendor, and it wasn't done right according to state law, and then they got whacked with a massive lawsuit. And sadly, all these people are looking for is a settlement. Um, you know, the the plaintiff or the defendant, you know, they may or may not get. A couple hundred dollars a couple thousand dollars and then the attorneys are making you know yeah you know four or five six figures so um sequa is the environmental um version of paga in my mind it's basically what the environmental communities can sue under um, to stop any projects that they want and based on an environmental impact so if they perceive there's an impact to the environment on a project they can see sue you under sequa and they can jam that up. So I know those are very high level, but that's that's kind of the easiest layman terms and, and oh, you can get into the weeds. Yeah. So it sounds like PAGA is probably something you could take on fairly reasonably. But in this state, I think the other one is going to be more difficult. Oh, PAGA is the third rail as well. I wouldn't say either one of them are easy. I mean, the only thing with PAGA is sometimes labor. Um, mm-hmm. We just ran a bill, uh, Senator Hertzberg ran a bill that exempted uh, unionized janitor- janitors, right? Janitorial services from PAGA, right? Because they're trying to grow that labor group. And okay, like a lot of Republicans will 
why is it only good for unions and not good for everybody else? I mean, that's, that's an argument. That we, and, and I completely agree with that. If it's good for a labor group, then it should be good for the non-union. But with the state that we're living in, I'll take what I can get on PAGA, right? Yeah. It's like, we just kind of got to poke holes into this. It's not perfect in that, that concept of, you know, don't be perfect the enemy of good. That's kind of the world we live in in Sacramento at times, sadly. I mean, I think it's probably true everywhere and, yeah. and from different perspectives, right? Like, right. like the, the challenges they're having right now in Florida are considerably different than the challenges we're having here. We're both having challenges. Right. You know? um, so, <laughs> but yeah, but I, I do, you know, you got to take the wins where you can get them. But I, I agree that that doesn't, doesn't make a ton of sense, does it? it really doesn't and it's frustrating especially when we know we know we have a massive massive housing problem and there's this weird thing called supply and demand yeah um that tends to affect cost as well and uh yeah we need to we need to start focusing on supply but we're just not helping it out at the state level yeah when you remember you know after 08, 09, you know into 12 and 13 and 14 like there was just so much supply out there because everyone was just abandoning these properties. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how much stuff has changed in just, you know, seven, eight years, you know? Yeah. The whole game is completely went upside down. No, it's incredible. You're absolutely right. I mean, you can't hardly find a place to buy right now. Right. Uh, if you, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And if you look at the demographics coming, you know, from the Bay Area and just the amount of people that are moving into our area. You know, like COVID was this weird thing where, you know, for four years, everybody was stack and pack housing around mass transit, right? I mean, yep. we, we didn't want to do parking lots. We wanted to build condos by BART in Livermore and Pleasant. Um, that's what the mindset of housing was in Sacramento. Then COVID hit. And everybody was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I really don't want to live on top of my neighbor. Like, I really don't want to ride mass transit. Right. So it completely changed this dynamic. And now everybody's going to the suburbs. Well, guess what we are? We're yeah. the suburbs. Yeah. And um, welcome to our reality. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, I'm still one of those that like is hopeful that we can have that life where you can live in a condo and like hop on a train go to the city in two hours or go to san francisco go to sacramento or yeah I even that. better like i'd love to get on the bullet train and go to la in three hours like that would be fantastic like you know you and i could do our clubbing thing we do together <laughs> yeah just kidding yeah. talking off the air we're not either of us do that <laughs> you uh -huh. know any of my friends that are listening to this, um, <laughs> be like, yeah, Flora clubbing, that's not yeah. happening. Yeah, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, but I, that would be really cool. I think we, that dream still could kind of come back around at some point. But I do hear what you say. People don't want it right now. Yeah, I absolutely believe you. I believe you're right. And you're right. They don't want it right now. They just simply don't. Yeah. Um, but it would ease the pressure off of our housing um, market in the Central Valley if they did. Well, and the thing is, they actually do want it because they'll live anywhere right now because there's nowhere to rent. So we should just build it anywhere. So you solved build it. it. Done. Build it, they will come. Didn't we work yeah. about that earlier also? Yeah. All right, well, we're up against the break here on the Better Modesto Show uh, here on 1360 AM KFIV.
or on your iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate. My guest today, Heath Flora. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about Modesto's Forward Together program and all the great things we're doing to make our community safer here on Better Well, welcome back to the Better Modesto show here on Power Talk 1360 AM KFIV or on your iHeartRadio app. I'm your host, Chris Rickey. I'm also a council person in Modesto's District 3. My co-host is Jim Applegate, and my guest today is Heath Flora. He's our assemblyman. So Heath, we've been talking about a lot of stuff today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about police stuff later, but we were talking off the air about just climate change and the fires and just how crazy it's been for the last couple of years. So you have a lot of experience. You worked in fire. You, you understand public safety better than almost anybody I know. Talk to me about what we're doing, what we can do, and what's happening with, with, uh, with climate change and the fires and the state right now. Uh, Chris, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm glad we are discussing because I think it's something that our community and, and um, I'm, I don't I know we don't really do any monologues, so I'll talk quick, but please interrupt and ask a question if I'm going yeah. down. But No, monologue on this one, man. Monologue away. Let's do it. All right. Well, no, this is something that um, I started in the fire service as a volunteer with Slide of Fire in 2000. The first campaign fire that I went on was a Cedar Fire in 2003, which is Southern uh, uh, San Diego. Stop you there. What's a campaign fire? Campaign fire is where multiple fires are burning in a particular region, and they have one unified campaign. One okay. uni- I'm sorry, one unified cam- com- command post, okay. right? So they make them into campaign fires, but it's usually a lot of fires within a, a particular region. So the Cedar Fire uh, was in southern part of the state, and we get down there, and it was just overgrown with chamise manzanita, and that was in 2003. Since then, you know, I stayed in the fire service all the way up until I got elected into into 2015. But since then, um, even at my time at Cal Fire, we would go out there and we would try to do vegetation management burns, controlled burns, thinning out certain areas, and we'd get shut down. Uh, we literally spend two weeks prepping an area, putting, getting ready to put live fire on the ground to thin out the undergrowth, to burn out the grass, to burn out the small trees and, and bushes. And the California Resources Board would shut us down because the air quality was too bad or the winds weren't the right direction. It happened time and time and time again. So over the last 20 years, all we've done is had massive growth within our forest system. And we as a state and do not let the federal government off the hook here either through multiple administrations, because they have screwed this thing up really, really badly as well. We only control at the state, only like 33 million acres um, is what the state of California actually controls. So the feds have a lot to say in this as well, but we have done nothing to fix vegetation management. You go back and look at pictures of Yosemite Valley when the Native Americans you know, pretty much had that valley controlled. They were lighting small fires um, every winter to thin out the forest. They had the, pr- the trees were pruned, trimmed up. They managed their forest system, but because of some of the very, very powerful, and I mean, I'm gonna be very blunt and I apologize, but some very powerful environmental justice groups. There's a difference between the environmental community and the environmental justice community. Um, Cause we can work with some of them on the virus side all day long because they share the same goals as we do. But it's the environmental justice community where they come in 
and just whack everything. We can't put fire on the ground right now. We can't thin our forests out right now. They just want the dead trees that have already dead, died to lay on the ground. Well, what do you think happens when you get a lightning strike or you get a, a, power, a utility company that causes a spark? The only thing that we can do, there's three things that sustain fire. It's oxygen, it's fuel, and it's ignition. You take any one of those three things away, the fire goes out. There's only one thing that we can control, and that's the fuel load. And we aren't doing a dadgum thing about it. And the, the song and dance that the governor gave us last year about how many acres, it, then it was actually proven to be a lie. We have not made it a priority. And this state will continue to burn to the ground every year until we spend a decade and tens of billions of dollars at fixing our forest system. And to do that, we have to put some of the, the naysayers on quiet time. We have to say, you know what? Like we understand that like, we want to protect the forest, but would you rather, you take the Dixie fire, that's almost 500,000 acres. You would rather moonscape 500,000 acres and kill multiple people as opposed to do a little bit of proactive vegetation management work with the forest um, service and the Cal fire professionals that do this on a daily basis. It's almost criminal what we're doing here. And it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And we've been on this kick for since the entire time I've been in the legislature. So it's, um, it's a huge frustration of mine. Yeah. What, like, I mean, you must be making some progress on it, right? Or no, no, <laughs> that's awful. No, no. And, and I, I will, we've, I mean, we've had good democratic bills that tried like, um, SB 901 is, and, and that number means it's a Senate bill number, but there was stuff in there for that, but we have, that didn't do anything. I mean, when you talk about 33 million acres and then we're only getting a hundred, 200,000 acres done a year, it's, it's not happening. We're not focusing on right. the high risk fire zones. The feds aren't doing their part. So it's this massive, massive failure of government. And right. so when you talk about climate change, like I have not, I've got no issues talking climate change and that's different for Republicans. Like I do believe in climate change. I believe since the dawn of creation, the climate's been changing. You know, I just, I think it's going to continue to change and we adapt to that. You can't put this many humans on a planet and don't think we have some sort of effect. Like that's not a hard place for me to get to personally. Right. Right. Now we may disagree on how to fix it or, you know, to the extent of that. And that's discussions that we can have, but we can't control that right now. What we can control we cannot control the temperature, but what we control is the vegetation load of our forest system, and we are failing. So you explained why the state side isn't working, but the state doesn't have a ton of control over the feds. So, and the feds, in my from my perspective, control most of the forests in California. So why can't we do? You know, why can't we get them to do their job? Well, that'd be a great question. Since when have the feds ever done their job? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I yeah. got, a, I got a couple of checks. I got a check. I got a check from, from a Republican dude and a check from a democratic dude. So like they're doing, hey, look, at, look at you bipartisan. Look at you. <laughs> I didn't even say names, man. I didn't even say names. I know. Neither did I. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I think it's for the same reason, honestly, Chris, that the, that the, uh, the Californians haven't done it either. The environmental groups are so powerful and both parties are married to particular groups. And I don't really want to mention any groups by name, 
But like Republicans, we have our groups that we're married to, right? It's hard for us to break from them. Democrats have the same groups as well. The environmental groups that the Democrats are, are very much ingrained with, it's very hard for them uh, to have the political will to put them on quiet time. Now, I think it's getting better because the, like when Santa Monica and the Bay Area is socked in with smoke and nobody can breathe for 30 days, like that's not a partisan issue. Like, right. I mean, we all usually bad air quality. No, bad air quality was a Central Valley problem during harvest time. Well, we're fixing that. But the smoke situation, it's felt statewide. So well, I think it's going to take about climate change, right? When the forests burn up, there's like, I read something that, and you know this, I'm sure you know this answer, but like when you, when the forest burns up, like the, the um, Dixie fire you're talking about, that actually like puts out as much CO2 as like 10 years of cars or something, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. So like, the, the environmental side, which frankly, like I'm a person that wants to make our environment cleaner. I'm not afraid of saying that. I'm proud of that. But like, you got to look at the facts. These fires are causing massive damage to our environment. We need to do something about it. That's right. It's because you're, you're, you're being logical. You're not an ideologue, right? Like there's, there's, and there's a big difference. And sometimes it's hard to get people to break from that. Like there is logical steps while protecting the environment that you can make pro progress. But if you're an ideologue, and that means you have to like, if you've always been a, a no a no burn mentality as an organization, and then suddenly you have to come up, well, then you, you've lost that, right? And it's hard to, for people to admit that. But no, I mean, this is one of the fallacies of, of what we're doing. We're spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year on electric vehicles and bike lanes to clean up our air, to do all these things. And I'm not speaking for it or against it, but one of these fires wipes out a decade's worth of progress. So if we are true environmentalists, then we need to have that conversation. Like you cannot be so insulated in your thinking that everything else just kind of goes away. Yeah. And I don't know, like I would love to sit down with you and like harder at some point and, and let's corral Adam into this too. And yeah. maybe a couple, I don't know, whatever, however many council people I can get without getting arrested for the Brown Act, you know, <sighs> and ask him like, Hey, how do we get the feds to do their job? You know, because that, I think that might really help. And I'm surprised more people aren't maybe asking, you know? No, and I think Harder, um, just last couple of weeks, he's he's brought the feds out here. And I know Gavin has brought the feds out here as well, our governor. So, I mean, maybe there is some, some conversations, but I am, Chris, I'm tired of conversations. Like we, we've talked about this till we're blue in the face. Every single expert knows how to fix it. But do we have the political will to do it? Because we absolutely have the money to. Well, that's uh, that, that's like the game, right? Where now we're like, now you got everybody there, right? Like we, you know, like when Adam does his crazy water conventions at the, at the Capitol, like maybe that's what we need on this, you know? Something like that. I mean, I, I don't know. raise awareness. I mean, it, it could be a Heath thing, you know? Like it's, you know, Heath has his convention too. Of, you know. Yeah. It's definitely my style. That's definitely my style. <laughs> Throw a big old angry rally. But, you know, uh, dude, like, so we have to wrap up. I wish we didn't, but, you know, we're out of time, man. Um, but this, this is the first time you and I have had a chance to connect. It's really great meeting you. Um, uh, this was a lot of fun. Pleasure's all mine, Chris. And, uh, yeah, I am 
sorry it's taken this long and uh, you know congratulations on winning that seat and uh, it's nice um to have guys that uh, i mean obviously you and i come from different political parties but it's awesome to be able to build relationships because like the name of the show you know better modesto like that's actually what we all care about that's why we all get into um, public service um, is to make our communities better and it's awesome to work with individuals like yourself thanks man i feel the same way but that's all the time we got. So thanks for listening today to the Better Modesto Show here on Power Talk 1360 AM KFIV, also on the iHeartRadio app. My co-host is Jim Applegate, you know, the guy that married Heath Flora. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but he did. That's true. true statement. That today. Um, and my guest today was Heath Flora, our assemblyman. Thanks again, man. And uh, we'll see you next week here on Better Modesto.